The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with hosts Victoria and Adair Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here with her daughter Adair, a lifelong vegan and an actress, a playwright, and a stunt performer to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now let's get this party started. Here are your hosts, Victoria and Adair. Hey everybody, welcome to Main Street Vegan. I'm Victoria Moran. And I'm Adair Moran. And today it really does feel like a party. You know, usually our guests call in, and you can certainly call in if you have questions or want to chat with us. That number is 888-558-6489. But we are so lucky today that our wonderful guest, and we'll be bringing on in a few minutes, Rory Friedman, author, co-author of Skinny Bitch, is sitting right here at Adair's dining room table in beautiful uptown Spanish Harlem. Yay! This is so cool. I like having people over. Don't you? Sure. Yeah, it is like a party. I I think the dogs like it. The dogs like it, yeah, because Rory's a dog person. We're going to get into that. But before we start our actual show, why don't you share what we just did? Oh, uh, yes. Well, we just released one of my rehab birds which is always kind of exciting to see them fly out into the world for the first time. And I always miss them when they're gone. But yeah, I released uh, I released two uh, rehab birds this morning, and one happily flew away, but the other one needed a little help. So, But, but once she started flying, it was just like, this is what I was born to do. I, I think she'd just never been out of a cage, and so I'd had the cage open all day, and she hadn't figured out, I can leave. Whoa. She needed someone to give her a little push. For our more metaphysical listeners, there there's just lots of layers of meaning to that. Because when you feel you've kind of been caged in in your life and then all of a sudden you get it, hey, wait a minute, I could do something extraordinary, everything changes. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure she didn't mean to make a big metaphor out of it. Yeah, I know, but that's, that's a mom thing. It's so interesting, Adair. You are so practical and I'm so, what's the other way to be? I don't want to say impractical. Let me just <laughs> yeah, say very open open to the mystical, open to the magical. So we're a good blend. And we are so excited today to have a third person sitting by our microphone. And this is Rory Friedman. I've met her a few times out in L.A., but she's here in New York City and right here with us and with Tala and Oliver, Adair's dogs. Rory penned the New York Times bestseller, number one New York Times bestseller, Skinny Bitch, with five books on the shelves and three million copies in print, translations into 27 languages, nearly three years on the New York Times bestseller list. Also, three fitness DVDs 
and past appearances on Entertainment Tonight, The Today Show, Ellen, Tyra, The O'Reilly Factor, Fox, CNN, MTV, and E! And Main Street Vegan on Unity Online Radio. And she... Rory set out to bring veganism to the masses and accomplished that. A proud vegan and animal rights activist, Rory was named Veg News Magazine's first ever person of the year. Rory, thanks for coming over. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Well, the dogs are happy that you're here too because Oliver doesn't like anybody. And he went right up to you. That says something. Oh, he's so sweet. They're both so sweet. And it's such a nice thing to get to do a radio interview and have dogs be nearby. It is. Every time I've gone to an office that's animal friendly, it's just the word is humanizing, even though that's really the wrong word. Mm -hmm. But it just makes the place feel so wonderful and special. Agreed. I'm getting a dog, I think, on Sunday, if everything goes right. I know, that's so exciting. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Well, it's a sweet little dog. I'll, I'll put his picture on the MainStreetVegan.net blog. You know, with rescues, it's always you go through a lot of, of jumping through hoops. But if he really is the dog that is supposed to be my companion, I've already decided that I want to name him Forbes after the Money Magazine because the true wealth in life as those who love us. Aww. I'll still believe it when I see it. She's been saying she's going to get a dog for three years now. I've never heard anyone hem and haw over something so much. But now I think I've really met the one. It's sort of like marriage. You don't just marry the first guy you date. Oh, but see, we look at this very differently. I just went to the rescue and said, give me a dog, and they did. And then we got to know them and bonded and... I don't know. We, we adopted first bonded later, I guess. Well, that's good. That's sort of like the arranged marriage. <laughs> I mean, but either yeah. way, it's, you're going to love it because it's a dog. You can't not love a dog. This is true. Can you can't not love a dog? Um, you know, I am like, I'd say different than a lot of people in that I'm a huge animal lover. But like, I'll be the first to admit some dogs can be super annoying and they're harder to love than other dogs. It doesn't mean they don't all deserve love. I may not want to live with certain dogs and spend all of my time for 13 or 15 or 20 years with certain dogs, but um, I think I'm probably more more in align with what, what you would do as far as, as uh, getting to know a dog first to make sure. Although, actually, I'm probably in between the two of you. I think I'd be a little more impulsive, but also a little discerning. I mean, well, we met a few dogs before getting ours, like Oliver, we met his whole litter, and Tala, we met her and her sister, but... Um, and, you know, pick the one who seemed like they would fit. But I don't know. You kind of, they come and they live with you and they just worm their way into your heart. And you can't help it. It's true. It's true. You fall in love. They're entirely lovable. So you're working on some dog literature at this mm-hmm. moment, right? I am. I've just finished the first draft. It's going to need a lot of tweaking and reshuffling. But the first draft is done. And gosh, I don't even know what to say about it. I haven't started doing any interviews about it or promoting it because it's not even done. But um, yeah, it's a book and partly about dogs. Yep. That's a good thing. And you have three dogs in your own life, right? I do. I have three fur children and um, I have Timber and Joey and Lucy. And I am, of course, completely and madly head over heels in love with all three of them. And I'm missing them right now because I'm traveling and I'm not with them. But, yeah, I've got it bad for my dogs, real bad. And that's good. So we were talking yesterday, and we'll get to all the skinny bitch stuff. So everybody listening, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about that we have this obesity crisis, and yet we also have this thin obsession. That's a weird thing. Mm. We're going to talk about being vegan, going to talk about success and this whole kind of metaphysical way of envisioning success, because you did that. But since we're on this dog book, when you and I had our little pre-interview yesterday, you told me that something happened Mm -hmm. that made you not want to swear in books anymore. It's true. And I know it's such a strange thing, being that all of my other books have a swear word in the title. And I'm from New Jersey. My parents are both from New York. And swearing has been an enormous part of my life, my whole life. And yet recently, I've had a shift around it. And it's been so recent, I have no idea if it'll stick, but it does feel different this time. In the past, I have tried for like Lent 
I'm Jewish or I don't know what I am. My parents are Jewish. I was raised Jewish in a, in a non, a not practicing kind of way. But every year for Lent, I would try to do something fun or different with friends as far as self-improvement goes. And there were a few times that I tried to stop swearing and I could not believe how hard it was. And it was just nearly impossible to do. And I wasn't very successful. And then maybe about a year ago or three years ago, some friends and I decided again, we would try to take on the no swearing thing and for a month. And every time we swore, we would put a dollar in a whatever, a jar, and then donate the money to the Boys and Girls Club of LA when the month was over. Um, we wound up donating a few hundred dollars <laughs> when the month was over. Um, but now, you know, I don't know, maybe it was a week and a half ago, I've, I've just had this experience, this sort of godly experience, and I just no longer wish to swear. I just feel like there's so much negativity and... Um, there's a lot of contamination out in the world, like contamination of what we are meant to be as divine beings. And I just don't wish to put any more contamination out in the world than what's already there. And I just am feeling called to try and live a more virtuous life myself. That's pretty wonderful. It's crazy. I feel like I'm losing my mind a little bit, like trying to figure out a new way to express myself without using swearing, which is entirely new. It's like I'll go to say something that was completely matter of fact before, like, oh, I'm feeling, and then I want to use the S word. And it's like, wow, okay, like, I just am not going to have that automatic go-to phrase anymore in my head, and I have to express myself different and say something like, I'm feeling crummy. Um, and, oh, I'm missing my swear words. You know, as a writer, I love words. I love using words. I think words are really fun and interesting. And, and I think I'm clever with words. And I think I was really clever with swear words, and now I have to find a new way to be clever. And it just might not happen. I might not be that clever or interesting anymore without swearing, but I'm willing for that to be the case today. That is so interesting, because when I read Skinny Bitch, and there are lots of swear words in that book in addition to the title, and some of them were like, oh my gosh, these are really, truly swear words. (laughs) And this is not to say that I don't swear. It's like when I met you the first couple of times, I didn't hear you swear at all. And I thought, in fact, I said to many people, she's not like the book. She never swears. (laughs) And then I've got Adair sitting over here. And I don't think I've ever heard her say, oh, poo, ever. But I think that's because you're my mom. I think I censor. And yet... Yet I swear around you, and now I am really, really embarrassed. This is sort of like, you know, (laughs) this is unity, not the Catholic Church, but I feel like I'm at confession. But do you not think that it's the same thing if you're saying, if you're subbing crummy or or freaking or heck or one of the kind of of kitty versions of a swear word? I kind of think that's the same thing. I mean, the the thought is the same. It's an interesting, yeah, it's an interesting question, and I've been thinking about that too, and um you know, one of my spiritual teachers was talking about swearing a couple of weeks ago, and he said something about, you know, having a more intelligent vocabulary. And, and I have been thinking, like, do I need to say I feel crummy? And then I'm thinking, do I even need to complain? But I think there's something to be said about being honest. If you're not feeling great, and you want to express your truth, then you want to tell the truth. And you don't want to say, I'm fine, everything's great. You want to say, I'm not feeling so great. So I haven't, decided yet i haven't i haven't figured anything out you're seeing a brand new newborn with a a soft mushy head still like i have not figured out who i am in the world going forward without swearing and i don't know what it's going to look like it's exciting but it's also kind of daunting and it's crazy timing as far as this new book that's coming out that was going to have a profane title and now i'm not going to use that title anymore and i had to call my agent and say, you need to call a publisher right away and tell them like, I'm not doing this title anymore. And I'm going to take all the swear words out of this book and see where the chips fall. Well, I think they could fall that you get a whole new audience in addition to the people who love you from before. It would certainly be nice. I mean, obviously I'm human and I have an ego and of course I would like for my books to be successful, but really more than anything, I want animals to be spared. I want people to read my books, have a new understanding about the way that they are interacting with or using or exploiting animals and then change their ways. And, you know, the fear is that, oh my gosh, if I don't use some profane, provocative title, will I reach as many people? Because aren't we living in this day and age where this is what gets attention? Um, But I'm just trying to have faith that, you know, God would not have entered my heart in the way that he did 
and made me feel this way about virtuosity right now, if he weren't going to also then lead more people to this book than he would have before. That takes a lot of faith. Because I know you reached, what did it say, 5 million people at least. And, okay, three. It said five on the piece of paper. I think it's three million. I'm not sure. Okay, well, lots of folks. Lots of folks. Oh, it says three. Okay, well, see, it'll be five. See, that was me (laughs) seeing the new book. Okay, so you're good for five. But, But you helped a lot of people with that book because you reached particularly young women who are interested in that kind of in-your-face stuff. So it was for good. There was a wonderful story. I'm not a great Bible scholar, although I have a a bachelor's degree in, in comparative religions. But I remember in one of the Bible classes, one of my instructors talked about somewhere, I think it was in the Old Testament, where God reckoned something as righteous. It's like something had happened that was kind of rotten, but because it had already happened, God reckoned it as righteous so that the people could just go ahead and you know do better next time. And that's how I like to think about anything that I do in the past that I kind of think, oh gosh, I wish I hadn't done that. It There was good in it too. And in this case, lots and lots and lots and lots of good. So it was exactly perfect. And now going forward, maybe something else is supposed to be perfect. Yeah. I mean, I also just think none of us stays exactly the same for our entire lives. I I think I wrote Skinny Bee. Isn't it funny? I don't even want to say the title of my own books. Um, I think I wrote the first book maybe almost 10 years ago or eight or nine years ago. So it's like, I'm not, I'm just not the same person I am today. Even before this whole experience about God and not wanting to swear, I wasn't the same person, you know, as when I wrote the first five books. So just by life and and life experience, I've changed and evolved. So my writing has changed and evolved a little. It's still me and it's still my voice. But like, you know, as my agent said when she read the first draft, like, I think your writing has matured a little bit, hmm. which was nice to hear. And, and I can feel like, yeah, I think that's true. I'm just not the same person. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, Adair, in your plays, you write some really edgy kind of plays. Yeah, I swear a lot in my plays. <laughs> Which is so funny because everybody who meets you, they always say, your daughter, she's so sweet, you know, but you're little and, you know, you look sweet and, and, you know, you help animals and all that. And then she writes these plays that I get, would you, would you consider them dark comedies mostly? dark comedies, yeah. And then yeah, people are very surprised when they meet me at the end of these play festivals. They're like, where's the like hipster dude who wrote this play? <laughs> yeah, you're kind of lacking a lot of, of tattoos and piercings. I guess. So how do you feel about that? Do you feel it's putting something out into the world that's uplifting the world or no? Yeah, I mean, I I certainly think that writing things that make people laugh is always uplifting. And if you get them to laugh through that kind of dark, shocking way, I think that's okay. In the end, people walk out feeling good. Well, I sure felt good when I went to one of Adair's play festivals. And who was the man, the famous playwright, John John Patrick Shandley? John Patrick Shandley. He loved her play. He was just laughing uproariously. Okay. I don't know if he loved it. I hope he loved it. Well, he laughed a lot. All right. Well, yeah, that tells you something. So we are here as three vegans, and we're a minority in the world, and yet. We're starting to take over. And a lot of that, the credit is yours, Rory. When I was touring with Main Street Vegan, I would say half the people who shared with me what caused them to become vegan had read your book. How do you feel about having that kind of influence in the world? I'm laughing and I'm rolling my eyes and I thank you and it's very kind. I do not take credit for veganizing the planet. It's certainly, I think as all of us vegans, we all want to do that with our lives and we feel like we're drawn here to do that. Um, but I don't, I don't take the credit for that. Do I have time to tell you a story though? Or no, um, should we do that after, after the, the break? break. Okay. We'll come Hold back with me. Rory's story and more of Main Street Vegan on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. 
To support this ministry, go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Your contribution helps us broadcast messages of love and inspiration throughout the world. He's the most talked about figure in history. How do you see Jesus? As a savior, a way shower, a mythical hero. In his cutting-edge new book, Jesus 2.1, an upgrade for the 21st century, Reverend Dr. Thomas Shepard explores the many human concepts of Jesus. The man of Nazareth has been an imaginary spiritual playmate for millions. Best friend, confidant, silent lover, surrogate father, brother, husband, trusted king when earthly governments fail, all-purpose superhero who will save the day before the final credits roll. Jesus is like a program that has been adapted through the ages while the basic code remains undisturbed despite all subsequent modifications. Now it is our time to rewrite and reinstall the Jesus program with updates for today, just as every previous generation has done and every subsequent generation will do. The Romans killed Jesus for being a revolutionary. Every succeeding generation kills him anew by losing sight of the ongoing revolution in human consciousness that he represents. Explore the new book, Jesus 2.1, at www.shopunity.org. From on the air to on the sea, pack your bags and come with me. Hey, hey, what you waiting for? An early winter with all the things you love to do Hey, hey, treat yourself to more A little more summer, a little more sun A little less work and a lot more fun A little more beach, a little more sand A little less stress and a lot more pain Join your favorite Unity Online Radio hosts for Cruise in the Caribbean, November 10th to 17th, 2012. On this fun-filled Caribbean adventure, enjoy sunshine, exceptional dining, and island excursions. Feed your spirit with music, message, and meditation, plus one-on-one time with some of your favorite hosts. That's Cruise in the Caribbean, November 10th to 17th, 2012. To learn more, go to unity.fm slash cruise. A little more sunset, a little more sea, a little less do and a lot more be. Listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria and Adair Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey everybody, welcome back to Main Street Vegan. I'm Victoria Moran, and you know that Twitter thing? I'm actually Victoria underscore Moran. Adair is just Adair Moran, because Adair is a more unusual name than Victoria. Do you want people to follow you on Twitter, Rory? I'm not so active on Twitter. Okay. They're welcome to, but yeah, sure. And it's just your name. Yeah. Okay, cool. And you have a story for us. I do. Um, I'm laughing how you were saying, crediting me with, with veganizing so many people. I was in another country in August, and... Um, you know, veganism came up and, you know, my book came up and, and then this girl has been asking a lot of questions and saying she was starting to be more interested in a vegan diet. And I said, Oh, what prompted this um, interest? And she said, Oh, I read this book. And now, so I'm in another country. This girl is from another country, not this country. The girl was from um, New Zealand. And she said, Oh, well, I just read Main Street Vegan. So here we are, all over the world, people are reading your books and getting veganized as well. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing, the the power of the book and and the foreign uh, translations, because I've got some of those too. And you see your book in Icelandic or Chinese. It's exciting. It's quite a thrill. And it's like you can't help but think that, like, God wants people to get the message. Yeah. Yeah. He's sure wanting them to get it now. It's very interesting how things come up in in 
society or, or on the planet at a time that they're supposed to. So you went at it with Skinny Bitch from the every woman wants to be thin thing. So talk a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. I think that living in America, it's so clear from our culture that women are obsessed with being thin. And even women who are already thin are obsessed with being thin. Also, our our country is, like many countries, drowning in obesity. And the mindset was nobody wants to necessarily read about being healthy. Nobody wants to read about what's happening to animals in slaughterhouses or on factory farms. But they do want to find out, how can I be skinny? What's the magic pill for being skinny? So I just thought, you know what, I'm going to write a book that includes this important information, but I'm going to wrap it in this shiny, glittery package and call it Skinny Bee so that women will get this information. And, you know, all the emails that I'm getting from all over the world are people saying, I had no idea what I was getting when I got this book, but it changed my life. So I think it was the right thing to do. I hope I'm not making a mistake by, you know, not so much using that Trojan horse approach in this next book. I'm going to just kind of be honest and hope that since Skinny Bitch has come out in the last, I don't know, eight or nine years, whatever it's been, that not because of that book, but because of the world in general and change in general and humanity shifting in general, that being honest nowadays about what we're doing can maybe just be the right path for people to find out. Yeah, and you know, I think too, in terms of books, they do represent where you are at a certain time of your life. And I've got 11 now, and I just can see each one of them and say, this is where I was then. And the ones that really come from my heart are the ones that have done the best in the world. Main Street Vegan, Creating a Charmed Life, Fit from Within. And some of the others I just wrote because it seemed like the next right thing. Maybe it wasn't. I wrote one that has a title that I just can't stand. It was my editor's title. I almost didn't write it, but, you know, they were going to pay me for it, and they didn't want what I wanted to write. And so I wrote this book called Fat, Broken, Lonely, No More, Mm. and it's really a good book, but nobody bought it because... I don't believe in the title, and I think there is something about that kind of in-your-face thing that doesn't work for me because it's it's not compatible mm-hmm. with who I am. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said about honesty in writing, and I had the same experience, you know, publishers saying, hey, this book is a success, write this, write that, do this, do that, and I certainly out of the five books I've already written, I didn't necessarily want to write all of them. I'm glad they're all written and I'm proud of them and I think they're good and I think they help people and I think they help animals and I think they help the planet. But, you know, the first one, Skinny Bitch, was the one that was really born out of this need and this desire and and felt God-given. Despite all the crass language, it felt really divinely guided. And, um, you know, after those five books, I finally got really clear that I cannot do it again. I cannot write a book that my heart is not in, that I'm not behind, that doesn't feel like it's coming from within and that it doesn't feel honest and true. And it meant saying no to a lot of money and it felt really scary and uncomfortable. But, you know, I'm just trusting now that anything I do is going to come from an honest place and whether or not it's well received is none of my business. Like I don't, I don't get to figure out the outcome. I just get to do what I'm supposed to do. I love what you said about your heart being in it. When I was working on my second book, I wanted to write a book just about animal rights, just because I thought I was supposed to, but it wasn't coming and it wasn't coming. And then I talked with Marilyn Diamond, who had a phenomenon book back in the 1980s. She and her husband wrote uh, Fit for Life that sold something like 40 million copies around the world. And she said to me, Life is too short to write anything that your heart isn't in. Mm. And as soon as she said that, I knew what I had to write, which was a book about my recovery from binge eating and and food addiction. And there's a vegan component to that. That was my book, The Love Powered Diet. But I I first had to talk about this inner change because that just needed to get out of me before I could do anything Further, So it was interesting you used that same phrase about having your heart in it. I really relate to that, too. And I I love The Love Power Diet. I think it's a beautiful book, and I think it does show that it's written from your heart. And, yeah, I mean, I just think, and I I don't like to refer to myself as an artist. Uh, You know, being a writer, it feels funny to say, like, well, we are artists. But I think in any form of expression, if there's no honesty or if it's not pure honesty, then it reeks of something else. 
And, you know, it's like a dare. If, if you were forced, if somebody was like, I'm going to give you a lot of money to write a, bo- um, a, a play about, I'm trying to think of something that you'd totally be uninterested, like a silver pot uh, or a colander. It's like, it'd be torture. And maybe you'd write something genius and brilliant. And maybe that would be part of your path. But chances are, it'd be like, I don't want to sit down for however many hours a day for a year to write a stupid play about a colander. It's like, we need to write about what we're called to write about. Not all of us are meant to write about the same thing. And it's why our world is interesting. We all have something different to say and a different voice to say it in. And people used to be allowed, writers used to be allowed to have more of a variety. I was looking at an Aldous Huxley book, and it said books by this author. Nowadays, when you see that, it's just a little straight line of books by this author, and they're usually, certainly in the nonfiction world, all about the same thing. Mm -hmm. But in Aldous Huxley's day, he had fiction books, histories, biographies, children's books, Mm -hmm. a health book. He wrote a book about natural restoration of eyesight, poetry. And I thought, Oh, Mr. Huxley, you were born at the right time to be a writer because nowadays you're supposed to be in a little niche. Yeah, certainly publishers want you to be like the expert on in one area. They want you to crank out books. And sometimes I'll be walking and, you know, see in a bookstore, in like an airport um, bookstore, there's, you know, like um, somebody will see on TV who's a health expert or something or has a TV show and then there'll be like 10 books with by this person just with the title tweaked a tiny bit. And I also know from how much work it takes to write a book that these people are not cranking out 10 books in five years. They're not writing the books themselves. They're ghostwritten, but their names are on them. And I just, I don't know, part of it is like, oh, it's so unfair. You know, I toil away to get these books written and it's so hard. And here these people are not really writing their own books and people might be buying them and thinking they're getting the words of these people. And it just feels a little dishonest. Um, but yeah, I do think we all have a lot to say and we all have varied interests. None of us is one note. And I might write about veganism for five years. I might write about animal rights for five years. And then I may decide I want to write about a colander. Like, I don't, I don't know who I'm going to be a year from now. And I don't want publishers to tell me that the public only wants to hear you write about X, Y, or Z. Maybe they don't. Well, Adair has a a children's book that every Christmas we keep thinking, we should have done more with this book this year. And hopefully now that she's co-author of of Main Street Vegan, she'll have a little more clout with publishers. Do you want to tell about your little book? Oh, sure. It's uh, it's called Santa Paws. (laughs) And it's, um, it's a kid's book it's in uh, in in rhyming couplets about uh santa's dog who makes it her mission to get gifts to all of the dogs in all of the shelters (gasps) i love this book please do something (laughs) with this book it's adorable we read it every year it's kind of a takeoff on the night before christmas what are you waiting for what have you not submitted to your agent i don't know your experience but i keep hearing Fiction, nonfiction, and kids are three universes. Well, and also, it seems like uh, everybody on the planet has written a children's book. This seems like a genre where everyone you meet... Yeah, but blah, blah, blah. You send send it off to an agent and see what they have to say. Well, you know, I've got an appointment with an agent next week that's not my agent, just a little friendly visit. And maybe I'll bring bring it along. And if you know anybody, if anybody listening knows anybody, yeah, I mean, Santa Victoria is, is a bestseller, a New York Times bestselling author, and she's like, well, if you know anybody, um, but you I know lots of people. But I don't know the kids' world. I, don't I would imagine your agent has some. All. My agent does not do children's books, no, but I would imagine neither. she or he knows somebody who does. Okay, yeah. well, let's just make it our our autumn effort because every Christmas we read Santa Paws. And then we read this thing that I read 15 years ago when I was sick in Paris called When Santa Goes to Paris. But it's dated and it's old and it's it's just for us for around the tree. But, yeah, Santa Paws is good. You guys must have a really cute, fun family Christmas. <laughs> we do holidays really well. I have no doubt. Yeah, my mom did holidays really well. I've told you this already, Victoria, that you are one of my favorite authors. Aww. It's true. Well, you're I, one of my favorite authors. That's very sweet. And you are one of my favorite playwrights. I really, I remember I when I was traveling to Spain one year and I brought um, Charmed Life with me because it was little and easy to travel with. 
And I thought, oh, when I have time, I'll just like read a page or two here or there. It's not the kind of book you have to sit and read in in one sitting. And I literally stayed home one morning. Instead of going out and exploring Barcelona, I got stuck in bed reading this book. I could not put it down. And it's on my shelf now of books that I have not yet read because I want to read it again. Oh, that's so kind. And we have a caller. Judy, hey. Hi, Victoria. Thank you so much for letting me know about this show. I didn't know. It's wonderful. Well, welcome. I, I Now that I hear your voice, this is Dr. Judy Hollis, who <laughs> is a, a, another New York Times bestselling author. She wrote Fat is a Family Affair and Fat and Furious. How are you doing out there? Oh, I'm great. I'm out in Palm Springs, California. Um but I was, I'm so enjoying hearing you guys talk and just talking about not being pigeonholed and, and all the things that we go through and being true to your timing in your life. Thank you for that. You know, I just, you know, this last book I just got out took about 30 years because I wasn't ready to have it out and I wasn't ready to learn the lessons I was going to learn from the book. Well, and let's just, tell what it is because we're all in tune with this. Judy Hollis's latest book is called From Bagels to Buddha. Oh, yes. I love it. Yes, and as you know, I've been on a 37-year journey of keeping my large weight lost, keeping it off, and I just recently, because of this book coming out, I've lost more weight without even, I mean, it's so, you know, everything has come together, all the spiritual messages and all the work just comes together and makes life easy, finally, yay. <laughs> Yeah, it really works. I was at, at Judy's book party here in, in New York City. Beautiful vegan foods in a beautiful <laughs> church over on the Upper West Side. Yeah. Ah, it's so we had good a great what we time. do. But, you know, uh, with The Skinny Bitch and all of that, thank you very much for your books as well. And, uh, you know, just thinking, can't the American culture ever see that it's a spiritual issue, that we're... We're dealing with how we live, not just how we throw things in our mouth or pile on our plate. And uh, it's taken yeah. a long time. We keep putting that message out, but there aren't that many people who want to hear it that way. They just want to know what's the diet and exercise, diet and exercise. Mm. You know, I went to this workshop or this forum a few years ago in L.A., and the person who was teaching the, the workshop said, you know, everybody in here is like a kernel of popcorn, Everybody's going to pop at their own time, you know, when you're when you're shaking some kernels over the flame, it's like some pop right at the beginning, some pop in the middle, some pop later, and then there's always a few duds that don't pop at all. And <laughs> you know, I just always try and think of that when it comes to the message that spirituality needs to come before health and it is health. And yes. I just try and hope and hold on that everybody's popping at their own pace. That is beautiful. You know, as I was listening to you today, I thought yeah, you're right. You shouldn't be having a book called Skinny Bitch because you're so not bitch. You know, you're so not in that realm. You know, it misrepresents you because when I listen to you, you're definitely on a totally different wavelength. Thank you. I appreciate that. And and it feels so much better to be on this wavelength and to not have to, you know, explain. And I'm happy to explain from in the past, you know, I have to explain why did I write that book. But it's exciting knowing that going forward, I'm not going to have to explain anything. I'm not going to have to be embarrassed if I'm talking to people who are really classy or elegant or who are elders. And yeah, when they ask yeah well, I, I love I the way Victoria said it is, you know, that was a stage in my life and now I've moved on. That's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, kids. I'll, I want to. <laughs> bye bye. Thanks, Judy. All the best. From yeah, bagels to Buddha. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. I just love it. There's so many good people in the world doing so much great stuff. There are. I love that Kathy Freston is also writing about spirituality and food. Her book called um, The Lean. Yes. Or Quantum Wellness. Yeah. And Janine Roth does beautiful work. I, I don't know that she's vegan, but, you know, we're all out there putting putting the best stuff out that we know about. So it worries me a little bit in the vegan world these days that it has become this cupcake culture. So can you address that for this minute and a half we have here? Cupcake culture as far as eating cupcakes? Well, just that there's so much junk food that, I mean, it used to be if you went vegan, you got healthy. Right. And now if you go vegan, you get all kinds of 
of wonderful junk food at any health food store. You might be asking the wrong girl. I'm grateful that we can have cupcakes and junk food. I, I personally like in my home to eat really healthy. But when I go out or when I'm in New York, I want to eat some really exciting foods. I am vegan because I love animals and I don't want them harmed. But every now and then, I want a cupcake. I want a cookie. I want pizza. I want ice cream. I want all of it. I just want the vegan version. So I think it's kind of exciting that as vegans, we can have our cake and eat it and we can make the choice. We can be really healthy um, and be vegan, or we can also be junk food vegans, or we can be kind of somewhere in the middle. I'm totally with you, because I think that if you couldn't eat the occasional cupcake, nobody would ever want to go vegan. It would sound so boring. And I mean, that doesn't mean that you should eat cupcakes all the time, but everybody needs a little treat once in a while. Oh, I completely agree. I just think that a lot of people who eat really healthy go vegan and then say, wahoo, now mm-hmm. I can have a cupcake with every meal. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting. Somebody, there's a lovely man here. He's a model. His name is Raphael, and he did a terrific blog the other day about if if we're not healthy, then people won't want to do what we do. Mm. Well, right now, I don't really want to take a break, but that's what I'm being told it's time for. So please stay with us through these messages, and we'll be back with more Main Street Vegan on Unity Online Radio. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. Somewhere, tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. The teachings of Unity's founders, almost a 100 years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Unity Classic Radio, words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio, words from our past, every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on Unity FM. The voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here are your hosts, Victoria and Adair. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan on Unity Online Radio. I'm your co-host, Victoria Moran. And I'm Adair Moran. And our guest is Rory Friedman. You can find out more about Rory at Rory, R-O-R-Y, Friedman, F-R-E-E-D-M-A-N, dot com. And we were just talking during the break about some kind of deep stuff. Why is it that so few religions... Talk about animals or our responsibility to the other creatures that we share this planet with. 
I do think it's an interesting question. And I think it's one of the reasons that I have kind of kept myself distanced from a lot of religions. I think that when I, and and again, I am not a theologian. I did not get a degree in um, comparative religions. What I do have is compassion and I believe that it's God given. And what really troubles me when I am being told about different verses from the Bibles or hearing different readings from the Bible is hearing about animal sacrifice. And in my mind, I kept thinking, there is no way that a just and kind and good God wants innocent animals killed for human sin. There's just no way. It just did not ring true to me. It just didn't feel right. And it really bothered me. And I finally recently heard a spiritual teacher say, this is not true. This is a misinterpretation of the Bible and that this did not happen. And that when God said, you know, we need to spill blood and there needs to be a sacrifice, he was not saying, take your animals up on a mountaintop and kill your animal because you're a sinner. He's saying, spill your own blood, kill your own ego, stop, you know, stop being who you are and serve God. And finally, you know, this spoke to me and, and I do think, it's an interesting, I think it's an interesting place where there is some incongruence in a lot of religions that are talking about compassion and serving God, and yet we're kind of checked out. We're just eating animals, and we're not really caring what we're doing to them. Well, a lot of pretty terrible stuff happened to people in the Bible, too. The Bible, you know, there, there's some pretty gory stuff in there. Well, in Unity, they talk about the Bible having layers of, of meaning. There's just the basic, here's the story, or here's, you know, there's some history in there and all that. But then underneath, there's a lesson that different people can learn depending on their kind of degree of spiritual evolution. They get something different out of it, which is why I guess you can read it over and over again and keep, keep learning more. But I know a lot of people who are very dedicated to animal rights and they have determined that because of the tremendous suffering that animals experience at the hands of humans, that there simply cannot be any kind of God or divine intention or higher purpose. And that kind of makes me sad because I think without a higher purpose, it would be hard for me to get up in the morning. Mm-hmm. And yet the suffering is is acute and yeah. constant. I, I also think that there's a lot of, people in the animal rights world and some even who are who get a lot of attention in the animal rights world that do have a God and that do care about God. And some even that are religious, you know, Matthew Scully, former speechwriter for um, president George Bush, the first George Bush president, he wrote a beautiful book called dominion and you know, it's faith-based. It's a faith-based book. Um, Bruce Friedrich, who now works for farm sanctuary, who worked for PETA for many years is also a man of God, and he recently wrote an article for a faith-based magazine about walking with God and how each each thing that he does is a way to serve his God, and having mercy with every meal is another way to, to live prayer. Well, that's such a beautiful phrase, having mercy with every meal. I wish I could remember the name of the magazine and the name of the article. I'm blanking on it right now. It's a really beautiful, beautifully written article. Well, yeah, I think, and, you know, just before the break, when we were saying, gosh, how many religions don't really think about animals? And then we were naming a few that do, or that do include vegetarianism. tends to be the Eastern religions, the the Jains, the Buddhists. They seem to be more animal aware. Well, and and again, since this is the unity.fm, I can say that that Charles Fillmore and, and his wife Myrtle, who were the founders of Unity, were very, very devout vegetarians and part of that i think was that they were studying the eastern teachings yogic teachings around uh, 1899 there was a congress of religions in chicago and these yogis came from india for the first time i mean it's hard to imagine how difficult it was to get here from india in 1899 but i think that was one of the the influences for Charles Fillmore, and actually where we're seeing uh, Jeff, our engineer right now out there in Unity Village, Missouri, they opened the first vegetarian restaurant in the country that still exists. Unfortunately, it's not all vegetarian now. They do have one vegetarian entree at every meal. The desserts are vegetarian. Well, I think it's also interesting when talking about religion, though, to remember that, you know, pretty much all of the major religions were founded thousands of years ago when people were just trying so hard to survive. 
And so we're very lucky now that we live in a world where you can really choose what you eat. You don't have to eat just whatever you can get to live. Mm. We can decide to be vegan and make that that choice. Yeah, and I think for me, and, and what I'd like to just share now is, you know, we can talk about religion. We can talk about the Bible. We can talk about where we live. We can talk about health. We can talk about our blood types. But the conversation that, for me, is always at the forefront is compassion. You know, it's an inconvenient truth that animals suffer when they die so that we can eat them or take their milk or take their eggs. And it doesn't matter what we talk about, what's in the Bible, or what God and God's intention was for us. If we're looking at what is happening to cows, chickens, and pigs so that we can eat them or take their milk or eggs, we will see that there's no mercy and that there's no God in any of it. And that we can do better. And I would call on the listeners of Unity Church Radio to do better. I would say that if the church's founders were ardent vegetarians and they had good reason, that it's something that people could explore and, and can ask themselves, you know. And and I don't say this with judgment because until I got it, I didn't get it and I ate meat for every single meal. But to ask yourself, what am I eating? If you're eating a, the flesh of a dead cow or a dead chicken or a dead pig, Chances are that animal suffered in order to become that meal for you. Well, having spent a day in a slaughterhouse, I can say that uh, I sure saw a lot of lot of suffering that day. And a lot of people do see a, a vegan diet, a, a plant-based diet, as part of their spiritual path. I know in the yogic teachings, there's the idea that if you eat simple foods, primarily from the plant kingdom... It, it changes you at a cellular level, so you're more open to higher thought. You're more able to sit quietly in, in meditation. Do you consider your veganism part of your spirituality? Without question. I would not be sitting here talking about God had I not first gone vegetarian 18 years ago. Because something about that door, that portal for me, opened up this entire new world about caring for others ahead of myself. And it's not to say that now I'm some enlightened, awakened being and I put everyone before myself. I'm still a selfish human. I'm I'm still egotistical. I'm still a sinner. I'm still everything human. That said, going vegetarian and then vegan were the first two decisions I made that really were saying, I don't want to do this. I want to eat meat. I want to eat cheese. I want to eat bacon. I want to eat the things that I want, but I'm not going to do them anymore because having an animal killed so that I can have a good taste in my mouth for a few minutes. Like, how do I possibly justify that? How can I quantify that? When I look at a dog and I look at a pig, I don't say, well, that one doesn't feel pain and this one I should pet. Of course, they both suffer. I wouldn't stab a pig in the throat any sooner than I'd stab a dog in the throat. Well, that says it. I just wrote down something that you said because you told me you don't tweet very much. And if you'll let me, I would like to tweet this and put your name on it. Rory, you said, I'm not a theologian, but I do have compassion, and I believe it is God-given. That's a really, really beautiful (coughs) quotation. Because I would say, with you, Adair, it seems like your religion is compassion. Yeah, I mean, I don't really practice a particular religion. I, um, I like to think that there's an afterlife or something more beyond this earth, but I don't. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about what it is because I don't think anybody knows. I think you just have to live the best you can live. And when we all die, we all find out. I feel like all the the stresses and the wars that are fought and all this over which religion is right, it, it just twists it all. Well, I was raised by this amazing woman who who was in unity and had studied a lot of other spiritual teachings as well. And she used to miss quote everything so perfectly she would misquote the bible and she would say because she really loved clothes your body is a temple and you're supposed to decorate it mm-hmm. and i kept looking for where does it say the decorating part but she would also quote and misquote emerson and she said emerson said don't peek one day you'll be there and you'll know all about it so i kind of enjoy mm. peeking because i find the whole mystical thing really fascinating but i also know that Living well each day and living with compassion is a pretty godly way to conduct life on earth. Yeah. We've got about a minute and a half. Rory, would you like to have the last say? Well, just I just want to echo what you were just talking about earlier about you know the yogic practice of eating, eating a sattvic diet so that your mind is more clear for meditation. One of the things that is talked about constantly now is in yoga communities is ahimsa, the practice of nonviolence. 
And, you know, certainly we can be nonviolent with our words. For example, if I'm not swearing anymore or speaking in a really aggressive tone, but I think that the way that I'm talking about it and the way that I'd love for your listeners to think about it is nonviolence in every meal, you know, sitting down to eat three times a day, you have a choice. You can either contribute to the death of an animal or you can eat beautiful plant-based foods that are going to give your body energy and vitality and nobody got hurt in the making of those foods. Amen to that. And as I am sitting here between these two absolutely beautiful young women, I can say vegans are also really attractive. (laughs) So thank you so much for being part of Main Street Vegan on Unity Online Radio today. We are here every week at this time, and we're on on Stitcher and iTunes and everywhere you can find us. And we'd really love it if you'd go back and listen to some of our archives, some of our other wonderful programs that we've had in the past and, and Be with us. Coming up, you want to listen in last week, we had Dr. Michael Greger. He's so brilliant. And we'll be bringing you more great food, great spirit, and great compassion right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. All the best. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria and Adair Moran entertain, educate, and inspire you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria and Adair or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Winfrey says that Eric Butterworth's book, Discover the Power Within You, changed her perspective on life and religion. Maya Angelou quotes Emily Cady's Lessons in Truth as she recalls her own spiritual awakening. What do these books have in common? They are Unity Classics. Join Rev. Laura Beth Gilbreth, Minister of Unity Transformation, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Hooked on Classics, exploring Unity's classic books. Each month, you'll be able to follow along and contribute your thoughts, questions, and ideas as we examine a different classic Unity book. From Charles and Myrtle Fillmore to Eric Butterworth, Emily Cady, and beyond, experience the foundational teachings of Unity. Hooked on Classics, exploring Unity's classic books. Thursdays on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. Reverend Dr. Thomas Shepard shares this from his book, Good Questions. We are here to learn, grow, experience, savor, exalt, cherish, create, and to use our connection with that mind to make safe decisions. We are here to share to be fruitful and to multiply the good over and over again. Centering on the divine within, we become still and realize that whatever happens, we are still one with God. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. wellness expert, Dr. Michelle Robin on healthy living. In the game of wellness, there's some basic habits that you need to embrace in order to live a well life. In her book, Wellness on a Shoestring, Robin shows you that complete wellness of body, mind, and spirit doesn't have to cost a fortune. Client Eddie Penrice turned his health around with Dr. Robin's seven habits for a healthy life. I've got to say my body just embraced the change. Besides feeling better, looking better, thinking more clearly. Many of Robin's seven habits for a healthy life are simple and free. She offers tips and shares real stories from clients like Eddie, who've incorporated the habits into their lives and seen the results. You can make this change by being convicted that you will do it. 
that you don't need anyone else's assistance or help to do it. Make this the year you get healthy. Discover a low-cost, attainable path to feeling better than ever. Order wellness on a shoestring today at www.shopunity.org. We talk to the animals, and we know you can too. On the Animal Communication Podcast, hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Aaron Debbie Smith, and Meredith Tolleson. We will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions, whether they're alive or in spirit. As soul-level animal communicators, we explain the process and explore topics such as health, behavior, and play, all from the animal's perspective. So subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and listen as part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.